We've got Mr. Ron Camacho in, and he's ready to go. We've got a great, you've got a great show today. Yeah, we do have a really, really good show because what we're doing is we're, well, we're highlighting one of America's really highest quality vineyards uh, and, and more. We're going to be talking about uh, grape growing and winemaking and a family with an incredible tradition of growing wine in Texas, but also one of America's premier wineries. You know, most people are familiar with grape growing in, in the winemaking regions of Italy, of France, California, Oregon, Washington, even Argentina and Chile. But what some people aren't aware of is that in the last uh, few decades, Texas has come around to being a very recognized wine growing, uh, well, grape growing and wine making region, and it's truly become uh, one of the largest uh, uh, regions in the Southwest. And the McPherson Cellars Winery has become one of the oldest, most productive, and award winning wineries in the company. And so I'm very pleased to have with us today Kim McPherson. Uh, part of a legacy of winemaking that goes way back, and we're going to get into some of that. Um, Kim, welcome to the Business Hour. We're really pleased to have you. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Ron. Thanks for for having me and my family and Texas Wines on your show. You know, your family has been growing and winemaking, growing grapes and winemaking for over 50 years. And your father, Dr. Clinton A. Doc McPherson, was one of the fathers of the modern Texas wine industry, and he's a former Texas Tech chemistry professor, and along with Bob Reed, who is a horticulture professor at Texas Tech, they founded Yano Estacado Winery. Did I say that right? Yes, she did. You know, uh, I noticed the winery. Yep. Yep, and and you, uh, they formed that winery in Lubbock, and uh, they were the first to plant the Sangiovese grape. And I want you to talk a little bit about um, about matching uh, the grape to the land, um, but I also want to say that. In some sense, Kim, you've just got one of the strongest pedigrees, if you will, as a farmer, winemaker, and even on your mother's side, Clara, she was a professor in the Texas Tech Department of Food and Nutrition Science, uh, who who established the university's hotel and restaurant uh, management degree program. So... All of that coming together, uh, Kim, you you really do have a strong background in not just farming, uh, grape growing specifically, and winemaking, but kind of a, a food and beverage blend, if you will. And uh, and I wonder if you you could you could go back and and tell us about the beginnings and and when your father uh, decided that. Grape growing and and winemaking was something that he wanted to do. Well, uh, my dad really started making wine back in the uh, days when he was going to attending Texas Tech as a student. Uh, they made it in their dorm because out here on the high plains and around Lubbock, it was all 
what we call dry, so you couldn't buy alcohol. You had to go down to some other areas that were wet, or you had to buy it from bootleggers. So Doc made his own, and he and his friends enjoyed that. So he got started and got bit by the bug kind of early. Uh, him and Bob Reed were, were best friends. Bob was a turf grass management professor at, at Tech, and they were tearing out some greenhouses up there, and there was a small vineyard there. And he he called Doc and said, hey, they're tearing this vineyard out, and uh, we'll get some of these vines and save them. Well, they didn't know the name of the vine or anything, but they planted them on the back patio of Bob Reed's house, and so they just called them Patio Red. And they started making wine in my dad's garage, and it just it just uh, it snowballed. They got uh, some lawyers in, invested in it. They got some uh, an oil lady out of San Antonio to invest in the winery, and they started growing grapes in 1968. And they had over 150 different varieties of grapes in their this 10 acre vineyard just to see what would grow up here on the high plains and uh, they decided that vinifera which is your true wine grapes was the way to go uh, but back then you had the, the four big ones and they're still here you have Chardonnay, Cabernet, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, five of them and uh, they tried to grow all of those and we have found up here on the high plains that other varieties work better well, I might uh, add here just to give us a, a little bit of uh, context and, and, and background that uh, America's Web Radio's uh, general manager and owner, Dave Moxley, who will be joining us possibly from time to time during the program, is also a product of Lubbock and uh, has got farming roots and happened to have studied uh, very... Uh, Coincidentally, with Professor Bob Reed uh, in the horticulture program, so in some sense, it's uh, a little bit like a family fest here, and that was truly by coincidence. Dave did not know that I was going to be having you as a guest, even though he had suggested to me <clears throat> that we might highlight some Texas wineries. We could have started anywhere, but I really wanted to start with what, as I did my homework, seemed to be the best. And just seemed to be a really great story with a, a really great legacy. Um, but uh, David uh, is going to be able to, to chime in if uh, he would like uh, from time to time. I wonder if you could tell us about uh, when your dad made the transition to partnering with um, Professor Reed, uh, Bob Reed, uh, into what I think was a really brilliant move uh, and that was to buy the old Coca-Cola bottling facility in Lubbock and convert it into a wine making facility. I, I really think I'm... Well many- now, let, let's, let's, let me um, have to correct you a little bit there, Ron. I bought the Coca-Cola plant and this is the, the, the reason why they built Yano Estacada Winery. They had to build it in a wet area and when i say wet where you could sell alcohol and they couldn't build it in the city because lubbock back then was bone dry and so there were no laws except they built it outside of town which is now it's basically in town now but in night probably 10 years ago 
the the laws changed, and then Lubbock voted to be wet, which I know sounds odd to <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. do you know, do you know the term, Kim? Do you know the term strip? Oh yeah, strip. <laughs> it's it's there, but it's not there. <laughs> it's a tire place and a and a and a, a lot of other different businesses now. But yeah, the strip was there. It's still there. The, just so that, they, just they to, had to build that outside of the city limits. To, to clarify that, the strip was one. I don't know what was it. A couple of miles of liquor stores just outside. Yep. Of, of Lubbock, and uh, in 1970, when uh, uh, Lubbock was hit by the tornado, I got an early out from Fort Hood, came back, went on active duty with my with the uh, guard unit there, and my job was to keep the brass captains and above stocked with liquor. So I would go out to the strip, make a, a run daily out to the strip. <laughs> yeah, everybody did, <laughs> and and that was uh, and then Lubbock voted in. You could have liquor by the drink, so there was a lot of bars, but you couldn't buy uh, packaged liquor anywhere. And they just they changed that. It's probably ten or eleven years ago. So, and when that changed, then I, then you could have a winery inside of the town, and and that's that's what we did. So, Jono Estacado is still out there, and they've added on, and it's a huge winery, and you know they do over one hundred and fifty thousand cases of wine, and and me, I'm down here in the old Coca Cola building built in nineteen thirty, and we do about twenty eight thousand cases of wine, but I'm an urban winery, and uh, it's worked out really well to be here in in, in the old part of downtown Lubbock. Well, well, tell us again. Let's 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 review. Uh, how did did uh, Professor Reed, uh, Bob Reed, uh, and your dad uh, ever get together between the early acquisition of that Coca Cola bottling facility? And the reason that I was suggesting that that was a brilliant move is it must have saved hundreds of thousands in the uh, uh, the construction of a facility that had. Uh, some of the plumbing and the steel vats and some of the other uh, operations uh, for bottling. Uh, and, and so it was a, a very smart move. Tell us exactly how they made that, how your dad made that transition. Well, unfortunately, this building that, that we're in right now, the old Coca-Cola plant, was uh, abandoned and it was left in disarray for many, many years because Coca-Cola moved to the south of town instead of downtown, and so they, they took everything with them. This this was just a shell of a building, but the building was so well built, it was solid concrete, that when uh, we took it over, uh, there was just a few things that, you know, we had to, of course, we had to replumb it up to code, and we had to rewire it, and we did all this, but it's uh, uh, a building that uh, was, you know, built for, for making Coca-Cola or wine and and bottling too, so and they they took everything with them, but they left a heck of a shell of a building for us. So we just re revamped it for winemaking. Well, then I take it back; it wasn't uh, all intact uh, plumbing and. Uh, oh no 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 no! They this thing was abandoned for this thing was empty probably for. 25 or 30 years and then some people moved in it and made it a warehouse 
and then uh, you know they didn't care about plumbing or anything. And then we just when we got it, we was uh, it it was a it was real it really a work of love to, to finish this place out. Well, I ha- the city was behind me, and they they really helped me out. It was a good thing. Well, I still have to say that it was a, a, a brilliant move and a, and a good use, a, a good recycling of the of the building. And uh, although I have not been there, the the photographs I have are really of a of a, of a beautiful building. And uh, you you've got the uh, McPherson Sellers uh, sign out there that perfectly complements the building. It's kind of uh, Southwest Texas, uh, but with a somewhat modern flair. Well, and, and, and we've gotten a lot of, you know, compliments and, 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 and from people from all over that visit that we've done a great job. And, you know, Ron, we built a fountain on the inside for our event center, which you can see on the website. But we, when we were digging, uh, for the drainage, the ditches for the drainage and the piping, we uncovered a lot of Coke bottles and, uh, we put those in the fountain. So, it's sort of a, you know, kind I, of a neat deal. Yeah, it sounds to me to be a really uh, a neat deal. Um, before we go down the path and talk a little bit about the uh, the family involvement in winemaking, and uh, in the promo for the program I talk about uh, how their, the family has contributed uh, not to just successful winemaking businesses, plural, but to the industry in general. And um, I, I, let's let's talk for a moment about some of the wines that are currently in production. Uh, tell us a little bit about them. Well, several years ago, I decided that we needed to, uh, after taking some trips to California and talking to people and and uh, you know visiting europe that we needed to grow grapes that that grew with the land and up here on the high plains we are very very similar to an area in spain called the ribera we're up about 3500 feet we get about 16 inches of moisture a year we're dry the humidity is very low uh you have uh warm days and, and cool nights here, unlike the rest of Texas, and we we decided to start planting grape varieties out of the southern Rhone region in France, cultivars like Carignan and Morved and Grenache and uh, Viognier and Roussan and Picpoul or some of them, and then from Italy we have Trebbiano and Montepulciano and Dolcetto. Uh, a lot of guys are growing that, That's- and then from Spain, the, the big grape is the Tempranillo. Well, that, that that is quite a variety. You know, I'm going to have you repeat that, Kim, because we're going to be taking a break. And, and you just went through a lot of different uh, varieties of grapes. We're here with Kim McPherson of McPherson Sellers Winery. We're going to talk a lot more with Kim right after this break. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. 
just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, uh, Kim. We're going to be having you review. You were just before the break telling us about, you know, what amounts to uh, matching the grapes to the land and uh, planting to the land, so to speak. Uh, but tell us again, because it, it, it's an interesting uh, range uh, of grapes that you're growing, and it dictates uh, very much uh, the wine that you're making. Tell us again, review for us. Uh, and just as you did, uh, where those uh, grapes have their, their origins, because you, you cover a couple countries. Well, the, the, a lot of the grapes, and, and I don't know if people realize this, are, were native to Spain that, uh, that they use in France, not like Cabernet, but like Morvet and Grenache and Carignan. These grapes are native to Spain, even though... In, in Spain, they're called different names, and in France, they're different. But uh, like Morvet and Grenache and Syrah, Syrah is really native to uh, Iraq, if you really want to know, and Iran over there. But uh, a lot of the wine grapes, people don't realize, came out of the Mesopotamia Valley way back when and were spread by the Romans all over Europe. And, and so this is where you get your, your a lot of your varieties planted in certain areas. And, but uh, we have found that varieties that are grown in warmer climates, like in Spain and in parts of southern France and southern Italy, do very well here. And, and that's what we're concentrating on. Uh, you know, I have people come in my tasting room and say, do you have a Cabernet? And I say, no, you really need to go to Napa for that because I think they have some of the best Cabernets in the United States in the Napa Valley and Sonoma. And so, you know, we concentrate on, on stuff like Cabernillo, which they grow very little of it in California, uh, in Carignan. Uh, Carignan was an old, old variety that was grown in, in California back in the 60s and 50s because it was a big producer and it made cheap red wine but now it's uh, it's really sort of in favor with the sommiers because it makes great red wine here and and really nice red wine in France and Spain so it's, it's just one of these transitions that we've taken different varieties that work in France and Spain and Italy and brought them to Texas where, where we have made uh, very big inroads and, and the quality is there too for these wines. Uh, tell us about the Tempranillo. Uh, that's one of the specialties uh, of the winery, uh, if I'm not mistaken. 
Tempranillo is the the famous red grape of the Rioja in Spain. Uh, it's planted extensively over there, and uh, it is a, a a grape well suited for this area. In fact, it will overproduce if you don't prune it back and and cut it back and you know remove some of the fruit. These guys can get ten to twelve tons to the acre, where it's really it should be around six tons, and it produces beautiful, beautiful red wine. So it's well suited for this area. Now, what what also would you consider to be some of the the premier grapes uh, growing in in that region of northern Texas? Well, Sangiovese is another grape, which is the famous red grape of. Of Brunello and and uh, Chianti of Italy, and my brother, my little brother, who's a winemaker in California, had my dad plant the first Sangiovese in Texas in 1983, and it was an Antonori clone, and it's done extremely well. The only problem was back when we planted Sangiovese and we made Sangiovese wine, it was a very hard sell because you'd have to put it in a brown bag and go to these restaurants and tell people, oh, you know, this is a Sangiovese, and they would think it's from Italy. you go, no, it's from Texas, and they would be blown away, but it wasn't Cabernet, and it wasn't Merlot. And it took a while, but it, it took me probably five years to make Sangiovese a mainstream grape here in Texas. And now, it's my biggest selling risk. Now, is that Sangiovese part of those uh, 20,000 cases that you produce? Yes, I do probably all oh, fifteen to sixteen hundred cases of Sangiovese every year. And, and you know, I have to say, for anyone uh, who's not familiar with the wines, uh, because they're in different parts of the country or for the world, uh, that ma- uh, for that matter, uh, that's small allocation. You're probably sometimes not reaching uh, in too many states. Uh, uh, can can you tell us offhand what states you do reach? Well, I'm in. Uh, we're going into our ninth state this year. We're going into Louisiana and New Orleans. But I've been in. We've been on the East Coast now for four years. I'm in Washington D.C. and actually, they just served my wines at the Texas Barbecue at the State Department. Uh, we're in uh, Virginia and Maryland. I'm in South Carolina. Uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Chicago, uh, Illinois, and Texas, of course, and now we're going into uh, Louisiana. And that's probably going to be my my biggest, you know, my, all the states I can go in because of my, just my production. Well, um, I'm not beyond urging you to try to reach out. I'm going to have to talk with your, um, your marketing guy to uh, see if we can get you represented here uh, in Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's a good a good city for for wine. Yeah, I think we're definitely a city uh, that over the last couple of decades has come around to to be, uh, and it goes hand in hand with some of the restaurants here. Uh, it's a, it's a big food and beverage uh, area, so um, maybe uh, if we could get you uh, at one or two uh, restaurants or retail outlets, uh, I think it'll be a good introduction here uh, beyond uh, South Carolina. Um, oh, I'd like to do that. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll work on that. Um, I, I want to turn uh, for a moment to uh, your background. You know, when I said that you had a, a pedigree, I'm, part of that comes uh, from the exposure uh, 
uh, to the business through your dad and through Bob Reed, but uh, also you have a food science background from Texas Tech, and you married that background with uh, the UC Davis uh, Enology and Viticulture program. Um, But leading up to that, Doc, I mean, rather, uh, Kim, how did you decide that you were going to follow in Doc's footsteps? And and maybe we should, at this point, acknowledge that your brother John, who is also an award-winning winemaker in, in Temecula, is that where he is? Yep, Temecula. Yeah. yeah. How, Southern California. Who, which of you started first? And, and tell me a little bit about that transition, because it's not always the case that someone goes into the family business, no matter how successful it is, you must have done a little bit of soul searching and and you switched out of food science in some sense into winemaking with the program at UC Davis. But what led up to that? Well, I, when I, uh, I interned in California at a large dairy called Carnation in downtown Los Angeles, and and I was in the lab up there, and and actually the head of quality and control was a Texas Tech grad. And when I got out of there, I had a lot of when I graduated from Tech, I had a lot of job offers from food companies, and and I hadn't even think, thought about winemaking. And and I went into an R and D company called Anderson Clayton Foods, which was bought out by Kraft later. But we were making seven C salad dressing and chiffon margarine and. Stuff like this. Kim, Kim, I have to interrupt you one second. Uh, most people have never heard of Anderson Clayton, which also owned Western Cotton Oil Mill. And uh, my uncle, W.D. Watkins, the first student to be accepted at Texas Tech, was uh, vice president of Anderson Clayton. It's right, still right out here. It's still running, the, the, the mill. Yeah, it's still there. I don't know if Anderson Clayton owns it anymore, but they were they had a big research lab in Dallas. And uh, I worked there 10 months in a cubicle and did all this stuff. And after 10 months, they came in and laid off about 130 of us. And I got down on my knees and said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And then my dad says, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be in the food business like that. And that's when he said, well, I tell you, I want you to go to Davis and learn winemaking because he'd already had uh, three winemakers at Yano. And he said, we got to, you know, his third one was getting ready to leave, and he said, we got to have a winemaker. And I said, well, okay, I'll go do that. And and I really enjoyed it so much. And when I got out of Davis, I went to work at Trefethen Vineyards in Napa, one of the premier Napa Valley wineries, and I wasn't going to come back. I said, man, this is really nice out here. And the old man called in the markers. <laughs> So uh, I came back and took over Yano Estacada Winery, and uh, I guess you could say the rest is history. But yeah, I was I was <clears throat> poised to stay out there because it was so beautiful. And, but you remember took uh, a turn there. You remember what sh- uh, chiffon margarine saying was? Uh, uh, you can't fool Mother Nature. Not nice it to fool. Place. Not nice to fool Mother Nature. Yeah, that's not nice to fool Mother Nature. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, you. Oh, please. 
You were around when that uh, uh, ranch dressing was getting its beginning, and uh, there was a time before it was an actual, uh, in kind of a liquid form, right? Oh, that was our big thing, was to put, when ranch dressing came out, it was a powder, and, and you know, everybody, goes, and it was so good, you know, you put your own buttermilk and mayonnaise and made the dressing, well, what what we were trying to do over there was put that in a bottle with that same great taste, <laughs> and it took it took about a year, and they finally did it. But uh, you know they were making all kinds of salad dressings, French to Catalina, and and uh, eventually, uh, you know, like I said, Kraft Foods came in and bought bought them out and closed that whole thing down, and and I don't even know if that building is still there, but uh, it was a it was a fun trip. I mean. It was, it was interesting. Let's put it that way. Well, we're going to have you come back right after this break and talk a little bit more. In fact, I want to talk about uh, some of your brother's involvement uh, in the industry and and even your daughter's involvement. And I I think we should talk even about uh, um, your wife's involvement. It's 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 really an extended family affair in, in food and beverage. We're here with Kim McPherson of the McPherson Sellers Winery, and he's been telling us a lot about uh, the legacy of the family and of the industry in Texas. We'll be back with Kim right after this break. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, You can rest assured, knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. 
So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the business hour, family reunion hour. Ron, thank you for uh, lining this up. This is this is more fun than than scratching an itch. You know. Well, I tell you, Dave, sounds like you and uh, Kim uh, share a lot. It's more than three degrees. Uh, three degrees of separation might be uh, one degree of separation. In fact, during the break, you were talking about. The devastating tornado of 1970, and I wonder, Kim, what did that do to any of the vineyards or to the the facilities uh, that you uh, produced the wine in? Did that have an effect? No, it didn't uh, affect this building at all. Uh, it was further, a little bit south of downtown. I mean, I mean, we're in downtown, but it was it was probably about ten blocks. It made a pretty good beeline down there on about. 4th Street, 5th Street, and we're on 16th. Well, you know, at, uh, Kim, my dad owned the property at uh, 7th and K, which is just behind the Aval- uh, what was the Avalanche Journal. I guess it's still right. there. And right in front of the main fire station. And it really didn't hit either one of those. But I could tell you some stories about uh, dad had the uh, had a warehouse there. It had been the old lumberyard. And uh, it just tore the heck out of uh, one side of it, and um, when we're when we're not on the air, nobody wants to hear my story, but I'll make you listen to it, but uh, my, my train that I'd been given when I was eight years old was stored up in that warehouse, and uh, I've got a, a story uh, that you, you wouldn't believe. That, that tornado did everything that we've always heard about, crazy stuff, you know, you couldn't... Yep. Yeah, putting straws and telephone poles. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it was a, a, a really um, catastrophic uh, uh, tornado. I want to get back on, on track with the uh, with the winemaking, uh, Kim, and I, I want to talk a little bit about your family because it really does seem that between your father and your mother, uh, Doc McPherson and your mother, Clara, that, that there there was a foundation uh, laid for the appreciation of of food and beverage if you will and maybe even hospitality mm-hmm. and uh and your brother John tell us a little bit about how he went out to California and as you were saying you thought you uh you might want to remain in the Napa Valley and and Trefethen was a a great uh, introduction to a quality winemaker and you must have learned a lot there but also, yeah. your, your John, your brother John, was with Piper Sonoma for a while, and and with some of the other uh, wineries there in California. Then eventually, how did he end up in Southern California uh, making wine? Well, Kim, can, uh, can I throw out a, a quick question? You're going to California. The I don't know how many folks will know, but the the 
soil around Lubbock is basically a sandy loam. It, it's got a right. little bit of clay, but it's it's a it's a, a fairly loose soil. Was that is that true in California as well, or was there a big difference? Well, in the soil? there's places in California that have a, a loam like that, but most of it's uh, uh, on the on the clay side, and uh, it's, it's just different textures. I mean, you can go. Uh, it's a little heavier soil in California than we have here up on the plains. Does that make a difference in growing uh, growing well, grapes? Well, it, it makes a difference in uh, water capacity and water holding ability. Uh, and this is uh, a thing in California where, you know, the water doesn't like here. It goes right through this sand. And so, uh, you know, you have to keep it probably watered a little more out here than you would there. Even though they have drip out there, it just probably works a little better in the water capacity and holding things in California. Yeah, I so, understand that the uh, aquifers uh, in uh, northern Texas probably until recently when we've had the, the snowfall and uh, the water runoff from uh, the Sierra Madre in California, but up until recently I guess the aquifers in Texas were in better condition uh, uh, than they were in California. Uh, let's let's turn to your brother John. We were, we were I was asking about uh, John, who had some exposure. You mentioned Piper Sonoma uh, to me before. Well, he he got a job offer there. He didn't take it because he was just going to be an intern. He he when he left Tech, he said I'm going to make champagne. He didn't go and work for a food company. He went right into the wine business and. Uh, he went to California to the big convention they have every year, the, the uh, uh, Enology and Viticulture Convention, one of the biggest in the world. And up on the job board, there was, you know, these new sparkling wine houses coming in from France. You had Mum, you had Piper, you had Piper from France, you had Krug, you had, you know, um, a lot of them. And anyway, they they were looking for these kids interns. And they would only, you know, you can only get a job for three or four months, and then, you know, then you're out. And so there was one job up there from a guy, and actually he was from Houston, Texas. He made millions of dollars uh, fixing oil wells underwater. He, he, his name was John Culbertson, and he had started a little sparkling wine house in Fallbrook down in Southern California and quite got quite a reputation for making really nice sparkling wine, didn't make a lot of it. And he hired John as a full-time seller guy, and John was cutting his teeth down there, and then the winemaker, he decided he was going to go live in Mexico. And so he just abruptly left, and uh, John Culbertson put my brother's feet to the fire and said, you have six-month probation period, see what you can do, and I guess the rest is history, because he's been out there since 1985, really making sparkling wine and now he makes still wine but his forte is sparkling and, and he has also been uh, uh, or his efforts have been rewarded with um, uh, several awards uh, as well as, as McPherson I mean you, you've got uh, named the top 20 on the list of top 100 most influential uh, winemakers in the US and you were 87 of the top 101 uh, American wineries uh, You've uh, been featured on uh, CBS uh, Morning News. 
and, and your brother has also uh, won uh, some awards. Uh, and you've got a daughter who's uh, in the industry who you mentioned before the program that she uh, is uh, either in, in currently in the program in the UC Davis uh, master's program. Tell us a little bit about uh, Cassandra. Well, it's, it's an odd thing. Um, and, and, you know, they didn't have this when I went to Davis or I'd have done it, but uh, when my daughter graduated from the University of Texas, which was, you know, much to the chagrin of my mother, but she went to UT and had a, has a degree in nutrition, and uh, UC Davis started a program of taking 12 students, and you could get another BS degree, which, you know, you can't really do that unless you get a master's, but she got a BS degree, and it took her a year and a half, and she has a BS degree in enology from Davis, but then she went to work for a winery buddy of mine in France, and then she went to Chapelet. She worked at Trefethen, is an odd thing. She comes in there, and they said, hey, we had a guy here work with MacPherson years ago, and they went, oh, that was my dad, and all of a sudden, you know, boom, it was it was kind of funny. Uh, after, after she got out of that, she got a job working for the Sommelier Guild, which this the court and the guild make up the thing that, you know, the guild kind of does all the study guides and the court handles all the testing for you to become a master sommelier, which in the world right now, I think there's 230 in the world. Uh, if you've ever seen the documentary Psalm, then you'll see how hard it is. Well, she started working for these guys, and some of them I know, and and uh, then she got a job at my Acomis Vineyards up in Napa, real high-end, kind of a cult winery back then. Founded in 1889, some of the best Cabernet, I think, in California. comes off Mount Veter, small production, and she still does a part-time stuff with the Somme guys, but she's going for her advanced degree now, and then the next one is would be an MS. So it's... Uh, it's a pretty big thing for her, and, and I'm so proud of her. So it's kind of a selfish thing because it would be, it would be really good for MacPherson sellers. Well, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen in the future in terms of uh, uh, you know harnessing uh, more family members into uh, uh, the future of uh, MacPherson sellers. But um, for all I know, they're grandchildren in the wings uh, waiting to pick up the flag but you uh, you and John got involved in judging tell us a little bit about judging because that's sort of a whole other dimension you know you've got sommiers uh, that's a, a dimension uh, of wine expertise but you've got the, the the field of judging tell us about how you and John got involved in that well, my brother got involved in that down in Temecula with some guys and with, you know, some old, old competitions like the Riverside Farmers thing and the L.A. County. L.A. County is one of the granddad of judging. Uh, and then the San Bernardino, the National Orange Show, was a very old competition. And he got me involved in, in this and, and said, you know, these guys started inviting me to come out and judge. And and it's turned into a, 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 a really, uh, I've done it now for golly, 20-something years. 
and I probably do, I don't know, my brother does four or five, and I do at least three or four a year. Uh, I do one in Texas called Texom, which is the old Dallas Morning News, which has turned into a big sommelier wine writer competition, and it's the toughest in my book. Well, I do Pacific Rim, and I've done L.A. I've done a lot of San Diego Wine Challenge, and it's real interesting to judge. You know, you're judging anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 wines. Not, not just you, but there's 30 judges. Would you say that your exposure to, uh, and, and we're going to be taking a break, but when we come back, I want to have you tell me whether or not that, that uh, judging, and my guess is that it has made your palate a lot more sensitive, a lot more educated, but tell us a little bit about uh, how your judging may have influenced uh, that kind of heightened sensitivity toward uh, quality winemaking. Uh, we're with Kim McPherson, we've been talking about McPherson Cellars Winery, we've been talking about the industry in Texas and in California, but primarily in Texas. We'll be back to talk with Kim Moore right after this break. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. We're here with Kim McPherson. We've been talking about the McPherson Cellar Winery, and we've been talking about the industry in Texas and uh, the industry in California and how Kim's brother uh, has been involved in winemaking in California, particularly Southern California, more specifically in Temecula. We talked a little bit about his daughter, Cassandra, who's in the industry as well, and uh, we were talking about judging wines and how you've been involved for 27 years in, in wine uh, competitions, or at least judging the competitions, um, as well as your own uh, involvement uh, through McPherson uh, with various competitions. But Kim, would you say that that y- you know you're 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 really almost like a psalm, a sommelier in, in terms of having your palate educated from from so many. Uh, so many judging uh, competitions. Yeah, and it, I, judging wines has really, uh, uh, really helped uh, me on our quality. And you know, I enter a lot of competitions, even though I don't judge my own wines. But I enter competitions, Ron. Not it's it's not the medals. I mean, I like the medals. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I like to see how well our wines do 
when we're put up against uh, some people from uh, France or California or Washington or Oregon. Uh, I mean, take, for instance, I just started making a, a white wine out of a grape called Picpoul Blanc out of the Languedoc in France, a cultivar from France. And the and, uh, second time we made it, we entered it in the San Francisco International Anthony Diaz Blues Competition, which is very tough, mainly wine writers and wine journalists. And the white, the, the, it won the best white wine of the whole show out of 1900 white wines. And, you know, I had my buddies call me up going, golly, Kim, what are you doing? I said, well, we're making pick pool. So right, right then, immediately it told me, hey, we're on the right track and we're making great pick pool. And that's what I wanted to do. It's, it's like, uh, you're going to win more medals? Yeah, but we, we can make pick pool here and we can make it good. So that, that was a big thing for me. And I've done that with Albarino, Pickpool, Roussard. Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing. We had been talking about uh, the Sangiovese and the Temperanillo, uh, but I, I, your Pickpool uh, Blanc would seem to be uh, one of your premier uh, wines as well. Yes, and, and actually the Sangiovese, I've been in, uh, we have sent that wine to Italy for the Sangiovese Symposium because of Daryl Cordy out in Sacramento, or the Cordy Brothers, one of the premier wine and food stores in Sacramento. Great guy. I mean, he's an icon himself. And, uh, you know, because he thought those were very uh, upstanding and, and uh, very specific Sangioveses that, that were good. But me and my brother both have sent those out to Italy. So, anyway, uh, it, it's, it tells us we're on the right track, and that's what I like to do. Well, going back to the uh, University of Calipro- uh, California program at uh, Davis, uh, the Enology and Viticulture program, what would you say uh, are some of the lessons uh, from that program that have stayed with you the whole uh, the whole time that you've been involved in winemaking? Well, I, I think out of that program, you know, at, at Davis when we were there in the class of '49 with. Martini and Heights and all those guys was was huge, and then they said the class that I was in with with all these other guys was even. I mean, they had Randall Graham from Bonnie Dune. We had Dan Segacio. We had we had all these these guys in there. The Bruce Catebread from Catebread. Uh, it, it taught back then. It was more of a production thing, and that's and quality. It was all about clean wines and quality. And, and that still pertains today, of making clean wines and the quality of grapes grown, and, and, and that's, that's what's stuck with us. And, and would you say that your background before that at Texas Tech helped you in that uh, enology and viticulture program? Oh, yeah. I mean, because in food science, you had micro, you had food engineering. You know, you learned about stainless steel. You learned about micro. You learned about chemistry. So it all fit right in, and when I went to Davis, it was like, eh, I've had this, and you know, but it was a little different. But uh, I remember there was a winery in Lodi that had a sign above the door that said, "Wine is food." And so I've always kind of kept that in the back of my head there. Well, you know, I, I had mentioned to you we had a conversation before uh, the program. Uh, in fact, earlier this week, and I, I said, "Boy, I, I, I would imagine that." 
You, the UC Davis program has probably cranked out more of the current day winemakers than any other program around. And you, you said, uh, you know, you thought that there were some other major programs like uh, the one in uh, California Polytechnic at San Luis Obispo. And Fresno State. And Fresno State, yeah. But I, I guess between uh, those three... Uh, Davis has probably produced more winemakers. Well, it yeah. sounds like some real luminaries. I mean, it sounds like some of the, the people in the class of 49 alone, you know, uh, went on to uh, make some great wines. Uh, but, uh, right. well, um, do you think there's a uh, an analogy in viticulture program in the future at Texas Tech? Oh, they have one. They do have one. Uh, it was a four-year program until the legislature cut funding. And uh, it's now a two-year program, but yes, we do have one. In fact, uh, let me see. I've my my assistant winemaker, who is from Temecula, went came out here to go to school because it was cheaper, actually, than going to school in California. He's a four-year graduate of that program. Um, uh, I've had two girls that went through that program that have worked here, and. Uh, and I've got a guy coming in now as an intern that's in that program. So, yeah, we do have that program, and it's and it's been a pretty good one. I think uh, uh, the um, the folks in Texas better uh, come back around to seeing the value of the four-year program and to uh, economic development for uh, the state of Texas, I would think. Uh, well, we can only hope, Ron. We can only hope. You know, <laughs> I wish. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, uh I tell you, uh, I, I, I we didn't talk a lot about this uh, prior to the program, but you know, your wife, uh, who also does she have a background in the the food science program, or is she just uh, no? No, uh, her her background is she's in was in the architectural department at Tech, and she has a she has a, an interior design degree when it was a five year thing, like an architect. Well, and now it's back to four years, but she has the five-year degree, and so she uh, she has that, and that's a funny deal. She's uh, a Spanish, beautiful Spanish woman I met in L.A., and she decided that she wanted a winery 14 years ago. <laughs> and she did all that on her own. I did not help her. She did it all on her own. She got an SBA loan, She and, it, and she built... Ladiosa Cellars, which is actually right across the street from me here, and she made a winery out of that, and a, a bistro that has tapas and and music, and so that is her venue. But now we make the wines for her because she wanted more room for people instead of winemaking. Well, so this she's fourteen years old. It's January in that. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, if you go online, and by the way, I might mention that if you go to www.mcphersonsellers.com, a person can learn more about the the wines and about the, the McPherson uh, Cellar story, but also if you uh, look up La Diosa, L-A-D-I-O-S-A Cellars, and you see photographs <coughs> of the bistro, 
please uh, tell your wife that it's uh, very evident from those photos that she leveraged her architecture uh, background. It's a <laughs> yeah, really she, she's done a great job over there. It's a neat looking facility, and that also uh, leveraging uh, or, or you know taking advantage of the fact that she has the Spanish. Not the Mexican, necessarily the Spanish uh, background, which introduced uh, this tapas concept uh, to Lubbock. I, I happened to look at that menu, and I have to tell you, uh, Kim, uh, there are some classic Spanish dishes. But I had said to you, I thought maybe it looked like there could be some Tex and Mexican flair or accent to some of the dishes and and by god there are uh i looked at that uh, tortilla española uh mm-hmm. you know a, a tortilla with uh, sweet nutty gruyere uh potato onions and herbs i mean that is an ideal fusion in my opinion i haven't even tasted it and the besitos and uh, jalapenos you know uh, little kisses oh, yeah. Yeah, little that, jalapeno that's, kisses that's kind of a text match yeah that. that's a uh, you know she has, the, a, she has a real fancy queso that she had to do because people kept you know they, they go into a text match place they want chips and queso you know and so she, it's it's one of those things that she's tried to get rid of she can't well she made her own version of it of a queso and exactly. uh, and and then your your wines are available uh, at that uh, uh, at the bistro at the La Diosa Cellars Bistro, and uh, uh, also you she's got a, a first Sunday uh, uh, jazz brunch. Oh yeah, that see, and she does it a, a one Sunday a month, and it's huge. People, you know, it's it's I can't believe how she's it's come about like that. Well, so. I, I just just felt like I wanted to give a tip of the hat to uh, to her uh, operation and to. Uh, Another member of your family that has the uh, 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 McPherson uh, sort of signature uh, on some really quality food and beverage. And Kim, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to come on to the business hour. We're going to have to have you back. Uh, we've got lots to talk about. And uh, thanks for sharing about. Uh, Texas winemaking and about the industry uh, there and in the country and for making such fine wines. Well, thank you, Ron, for having me, and I'd love to come back anytime, man, anytime. You've been to preach the gospel of Texas wine. Well, thank you. Yeah, it really is the gospel of Texas wines. Thanks for uh, joining us. You've been listening okay. to America's Web Radio, the Business Hour. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the Internet and the radio next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.